Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, the movie podcast that doesn't take itself too seriously and looks at movie roadkill, both fresh and old, to see whether we should give it a bath, a hot towel, a caramel supper, or if we just, you know, reverse over it. I'm Rob and here are Simon and James. Hi, fellas. How you doing? I'm, I'm okay, thank you. Poor movies. Good, good. Poor movie roadkill. Yeah, now I've said it. What on earth is a caramel supper? <laughs> What's one of them? It just sounded dead luxurious. Uh, entirely fictional. <laughs> are you both well, fellas? Are you okay? Yes, good, thank you, Rob. Good, mate, good. Are you good? How are you? Oh, splendid, yeah. Just all cylinders, all guns blazing. Um, what have you guys been watching this week? Oh, I've watched uh, two films that were actually released this year, Ooh. back at the beginning of the year, where before the world ended. Wow. Can I can I just guess? I imagine that statistics would suggest that one's got Tom Sizemore in it. <laughs> uh, no, it hasn't. It's got, a, it's got a Tom in it, but not, not Sizemore. <laughs> sorry, mate. I'm sorry. In fact, his, uh, his castmate from Saving Private Ryan was in the first one. So the first one is uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. And uh, it's a really lovely film, uh, an entertaining and heartwarming tale that is elevated above conventional trappings by Marie Heller's sensitive and inventive direction, as well as pitch-perfect performances from Matthew Rees and the ever-reliable Tom Hanks. It's just lovely. It's just a oh, really, lovely. really nice movie about Mr. Rogers, who I know UK listeners probably won't be that familiar with, but he's like a beloved children's television presenter from America who was on TV for like 40 odd years or something like that and yeah. Tom Hanks absolutely nails it it's right in his wheelhouse it's as soon as he comes on the screen you just know he's going to be he's going to knock it out of the park oh nice who was our equivalent to him do you think Tony Hart <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah possibly did he I don't know whether anyone's had that longevity or anyone that's not been, you know, subsequently you arrested treat. and imprisoned. For, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Terrible. You treat. You treat. <laughs> that is not good. Not good. Uh, that's um, true. Uh, Dave Benson. Is, no, yeah. Dave Benson Phillips was specific to our childhood, not like generations on generations. Yeah, like, multi generation. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's tough. Tough to think of an equivalent. Yeah. yeah, it's so, it's uh, good that Tom Hanks has taken a break from his um, playing a captain. <laughs> he shoved this in between a captain movie, I think. This one came just before <laughs> Greyhound came out, so yeah, he was uh, brilliant. Little hiatus <laughs> from being a captain. <laughs> uh, what was your second one? Uh, it's one that I know that Simon's seen as well, and one that I massively enjoyed, and it's called The Hunt, oh, so uh, good. which is an. Yeah ultra-violent and satirical riff on the most dangerous game, which takes great delight in skewering extremists and stereotypes on both sides of the political argument. Nice. I thought it was an absolute hoot. Oh, excellent. To be honest. I'll make a little note of that. It was really good. There was a big hoo-ha around it when it came out, wasn't yeah. it? I think, was it supposed to come out and there was a mass shooting or something and it sort of derailed its release? Yes, possibly. there was something like that, wasn't there? I, be I believe it was supposed to come out in 2019 and then it started whipping up a lot of controversy. I think even Trump got involved and it got pushed. And then it was like one of the last cinema releases before lockdowns started taking place all over, all over the country. So it ended up not doing very well mm. because it had to go to premium VOD at the, say, at the time when it was supposed to be having its cinema release. 
I couldn't understand what all the controversy was about. It's quite clearly a satire. Yeah, yeah. Quite a broad satire as well at that. It like, really is, yeah. It it, it it hits both sides, doesn't it? it quite and, and holds the mirror up to both because it's like we're all a bit we're, we're all a bit ridiculous, aren't yeah. we? So <laughs> it's really good and yeah, really violent. And uh, Betty Gilpin in the lead role is absolutely fantastic. She's really really good. Hard as nails. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Superb. I would recommend highly. And it's FYR. Uh, it does qualify for FYR. Oh, does it? Possible oh, future does it? episode. Yeah. Maybe one for the future. Yeah. Very good. Uh, what about you, Si? What have you been uh, been digging into? Yeah, so as James said, I, I did catch The Hunt as well, which I e- cool. enjoyed equally as much. I thought it was great. Um, such a good, fun movie. Um, but honestly, most of my spare TV time this week has been taken up by binge-watching trashy American reality TV. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I lap it up. I lap it up like a little horse. Like, it is like a water trough, like, mm. <laughs> little greedy horse. <laughs> what, uh, any any choice? Um, like uh, ice truckers from Nevada or anything. Well, like what that? I, do, I I go through like stints of watching one program like obsessively, and my current one is one called Below Deck, which is about a luxury yacht in the Bahamas and its American crew. It's just so good. The first two seasons are on Netflix, and it's like really old. The first first two seasons are like so, really, really old, um, and it proper shows in the production. But then <laughs> from season three onwards, is on Sky. So I've had to move over to Sky and buy Hey You on Now TV to watch it. <laughs> yeah, mate, no. it's an obsession. <laughs> I pay for this. I know it's not fair. I pay for this, um, and uh, yeah, I just love it and. In the latest series, a Mancunian deckhand has been introduced. Oh. But they, they have to subtitle him because no one understands no. what he's saying. <laughs> That's no. a slur on our people. I'm that absolutely really outraged. <laughs> so funny. I was just like, when it came in and it, the subtitles come up and they just keep going like, no idea what he's saying. All of the crew and it's like, oh, come on. It's not that difficult. Does he have a, an especially thick accent? Is he like wandering around like a cartoon Gallagher brother or something? <laughs> he speaks a wee bit quick. So now and again, you'd be like, okay, maybe you're not going to get it. But on the whole, it's like, come on, guys. He's not talking a different language. <laughs> you should be able to know what he's saying. Um, but uh, I, I have watched a few films. Um I also watched The Gentleman, which I'd kind of put off because, I don't know, is there a more, like, for me, is there a more mercurial director as Guy Ritchie? Because mm. one minute you think he's he's over the hill and past it, and he's like, oh, he's just sort of churning out your franchise movies or whatever. And, and his films, a lot, some of his films don't do very well either. Mm. And then he's brought out The Gentleman, and it's like the arguably the best film he's done. Oh, and, really? Um, oh, wow. It's just brilliant, yeah. And it's just got that that same old Cockney crime caper story where it goes all over the place and um, just spearheaded by a rejuvenated Hugh Grant who's yeah. brilliant in it. He's very, like, he plays this like sleazy journalist who thinks he's got the dirt on these um, drug dealers uh, who are Matthew McConaughey and Charlie Hunnam. Charlie Hummus. Um, <laughs> Look at Rob's face. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think um, I, I, I certainly the reasons I'd want to watch that there aren't many, but um, <laughs> but uh, Hugh Grant and um, McConaughey doing in that yeah that's mm. interesting to me. I'd like to see that. Mm. Yeah, 
it's it's I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought it was good. I thought it was very good. Um gorgeous clothes as well. The clobber is top notch. Oh now yeah. now we have a third it's reason. Very good. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I re- I really enjoyed cool. it. I think that's on Sky as well. Um, yeah, I think it is actually. So, cool. Yeah. You might have convinced me. You might have convinced me. Yeah, I was gonna completely swerve it, but I will I will give it a watch on strength yeah. recommendation. Yeah, it's good. I feel like sometimes like if I'm making you guys watch every Bigfoot movie ever ever made, then I'm I'm going to have to quit bro, quit hold my end of the bargain up here. Oh, it's getting ridiculous. We've got Bigfoot requests coming in now via the Twitter. I know, I know. I know. <laughs> I know and I noticed that a uh, long-time listener, LJ Human, higher LJ, uh, went and watched Willow Creek after the last yeah. episode and said it was great. So yeah. I, I've had to say that is definitely coming in, in next year when I'm allowed to go back to Bigfoot Town. I do fancy it because um, it's popped up a lot on the streaming feeds now. Yeah. And it sounds pretty good. So it's very, yeah, I'm not going to say much more because I want to, um, what's that word? Holster that sidearm. No, this isn't the quick and the dead. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is we're talking what? about. Whatever metaphor works. Oh. Um, what, have you, what have you been watching then, Rob? Have you been completing your Bigfoot bonanza? No, no. I Actually, um, I've done a list, though, of Bigfoot movies I've not seen. So um, I'm going to go and have a look. Um, in that list, um, Lance Henriksen's done four Bigfoot movies. So um, I'm going to have to complete <laughs> the Lance Henrik Maniac. Bigfoot quadrilogy. <laughs> Is the, the plan. Absolute mania. Um, uh, it's, I think that's the first thing he looks for when he gets a script. You know, just go through. No, there's nothing. No Bigfoot in this. I don't want to do it. <laughs> On the phone to his agent, like, oh, I've got this uh, new job for you, Lance. Uh, does it have my usual? Big, uh, Bigfoot. Do you mean Bigfoot? Yes. He's Bigfoot in, in the picture. No. In the <laughs> <Not> picture? <interested>. <laughs> <laughs> It's like his agent's like tearing his hair out. Like Lance, you you were in a Terminator movie. You're in an Aliens movie. Why why couldn't you have fallen in love with those creatures? Why do you have to be obsessed with Bigfoot? There's no money in it. Desperate late night meetings between Lance Henriksen and his agent. Please, Lance, we're making no money. Do you know how niche Bigfoot pictures are? <laughs> oh dear! No, I um, I am always on the lookout for more Bigfoot fodder. So please send us uh, send us your recommendations. But no, I've been watching. Um, I finished um, the um with my eldest. We've been watching the Indiana Jones movies, and we we um watched Last Crusade this week. It was her favourite as well, which was good. My favourite. Um, yeah, I think it's mine too. Actually, I think um, Temple was her uh, like at the bottom for her. So it goes for her. She liked them all. Really liked them. Um, for her, it was Temple Raiders, Last Crusade, and we haven't watched Crystal Skull yet. Well, that's which... a fan made movie, isn't it? It's not really canon. So. <laughs> For completionist sake, we're going to have to go there, and I've not seen it f- for years on purpose, so I- I- we're going to have to try it. But um, no, is there? It got me thinking about this. This um, is there a piece of music that gets you more than that? The, the like the motif in Last Crusade, oh, you God, know, yeah. and I, I'm like, honestly, my. I get the jitters. You know, is there any piece of music that suggests something so massive and the scope is so big? And it's just Williams and Spielberg just absolutely in gold territory. It's just great. I I loved it. And watching it again with my daughter, 
Honestly, I've got goosebumps on my legs thinking about it, how much she enjoyed it and how much I got from watching it with her. And I have to be honest, we spent the last half an hour of the film holding hands oh, because so she was that beautiful. into it. It was so... The cutest thing I've ever heard. Yeah, I know, yeah. You know, with the, my legs have gone, I've got goosebumps everywhere. But like, um, watching movies that are just... The reason why we love doing this and why we love watching movies and passing that love to, you know, your your offspring you know your nearest it's just amazing so she's playing as i'm recording right now she's playing through the lego indiana jones video game at the moment, <laughs> like just absolutely loving it and uh for for fans out there it's only got the first three adventures on there's no crystal skull stuff so you'll be pleased um, <laughs> it doesn't exist no um i also um i really wanted to try the um the witcher the henry cavill thing oh yeah oh yeah yeah um that first episode is ace is and, it um, good? Have you guys seen it? No, I haven't played the video game, so no. I had no sort of connection to it or interest in watching no, it. No, neither here. No, no video games, no books, not read anything, not not watched, played anything. Just thought it's big budget, and I really, yeah. you know, I really would quite like Cavill to be the next James Bond as well. So I just wanted to see it, and and it's like the perfect vehicle, a star vehicle. You know, it's it's great. The violence is heavy, real big budget stuff, mm, great music. Is, I really liked it. I'd, I'd actually, you know, give it a spin, definitely. You know, and if there's a a hole in your life, like what is it like getting on for two years since um, Game of Thrones? <laughs> Game of Thrones. Yeah, if you've got a hole in your life for some swords, swords and epic stuff. You could do a lot worse, I think, than this. But yeah. um, you know, it's very adult. There be there be nudity yeah. uh, involved. In How this. is it on the roadhouse scale? <laughs> um, I, I th- honestly, I think actually, it's, <laughs> is the roadhouse scale like? Is it can, at the bottom? Is it crisp chinos tai chi by the lake? <laughs> or it's a, at the top end? It's a Wade Garrett knife through the sternum <laughs> on the bar. It's actually, I think it's it's. There's more nudity than Roadhouse in this. So, um... Oh my word! <laughs> yes. Is Joel Silver involved? Cavill, Cavill has a few naked baths in it as well, doesn't he? Like he. Um, I haven't seen any of that yet, um, but um, the, yeah, there was a lot of um, uh, nudie bear action going on in this uh, in this thing. But it was great. I really enjoyed it. Really, really enjoyed it. Not for the nudie bear action. That was sinful on mine eyes. Um, so yeah, we uh, we. Today, this is interesting, okay. Today is the day that we're le- learning, us here in the UK, what plans uh, the government have for Christmas for us. Yeah. And it seems that we might have to pick and choose who we're going to make a bubble with yeah. and just spend Christmas with them. And they're very keen on this rule of six thing, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> Everything's a rule of six. You know, you're allowed to take a dump in a park as long as the six of you or something like that. You know, that is not that is not a, a, a suggestion, by the way. <laughs> but you're allowed to do, you know, like outdoor team sports in a six. You know, like all this kind of rubbish. So hypo- hypothetically, if we've got six places, I want to spend Christmas with you two, please. If oh, that's lovely. All right. in yeah, this, yeah. In the, you know, an FYR themed Christmas. So, um, thanks. <laughs> you sounded elated there. So. No, I, I am. I, 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 I'm just picturing the reaction from my missus when she finds out this hypothetical party does not involve her. Uh, yeah, 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 that's true. For you have jettisoned my own wife and children. Just yeah. waving to my wife and son. I'm off. I'm off. Bye. It's all right. I'll just leave her a Kevin Costa box set. She'll be fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. It'll be absolutely fine. Poor James's James's son. You know, he's already got the Christmas tree up. Yeah. <laughs> We're really ruining Christmas for your family, here, James. Um, I'm just going to build it up to bring him down on the dirt. <laughs> um, 
So, yeah, well, there's the three of us, so we've got three places. I think you we're going to have one FYR-themed pick each. So of our oeuvre of um, 56, 57 episodes, you can pick one movie character to come into the FYR Christmas social bubble with us. And I'd like to know why as well, please. Now, bear in mind, we, we're going to have, like, a, the full Christmas period with them. We're going to have Christmas Eve excited, you know, putting the, the stockings out and getting having a little brandy and whatever and all this. Maybe a a, <laughs> a caramel supper. <laughs> 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 the new Christmas tradition we're inventing. Um, but then, you know, you're going to be like fattening on the sofa, eating leftovers with them on Boxing Day. So, gents, who are you picking? Who's coming with us for Christmas? Well, I couldn't just pick one of this man's characters. So I'm just going for the man himself. And I'm getting Cage oh involved. <laughs> yes, good. Thank God for that. <laughs> you know, yes. I just think it'd be brilliant. You know, we'd end up making at least four movies. Over the over the Christmas period, <laughs> we'd be up on the roof looking out for Santa Claus on on Christmas Eve. Oh yeah, yeah. And he'd just be endlessly telling weird anecdotes and pontificating on the craft of acting. He'd be the perfect guest for a super edgy Christmas. You know, when you're just not sure when the arguments are going to explode. <laughs> like, you know, when it's all just lulling on like the twenty seventh or the twenty eighth, it's just like right, let's set Cage off and he'll, <laughs> he'll bring the fire. <laughs> I think this is a great idea. Like, can you imagine how good his gifts would be? You know, like, um, oh, here's a dinosaur skull. <laughs> there you go. I, Thank you. <laughs> I read, I read something the other day that someone was like, ha- was around Cage's house, and they accidentally broke one of his prehistoric skulls, and he was really sad about <gasps> it. <laughs> and then he, he, oh no! He went, no. he went out dead early in the morning to to give it a burial because he was really upset about. It. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've, uh, uh, this is what I'm here for, Rob. I've, I've got you a gift. It's the it's the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Nicholas. Thank you. Thank you. There's a treasure map on the back. It's not real. I just, I just did myself. <laughs> it relates to more presents. So I've hidden around the house for the holidays. <laughs> oh. After our Christmas lunch, we'll be having a a, a peace sorbet persuasion to cleanse the palate. <laughs> After our caramel supper, you can have as many peach sorbet persuasions uh, as you like, Nicholas. Oh, that's naughty. That's naughty. That's not- <laughs> oh, yeah, it's real naughty. Real naughty. <laughs> I think this is this is shaping up to be a magnificent... I mean, in fact, for me, we could even close the doors. Yeah, just leave it. It's not going to get... Bubble's fine for me. <laughs> if we were to expand the bubble, Simon, who, who do you think might, you know, join us? Um, well, sort of... Causing family barbecue massacres aside, Howard Saint from The Punisher's <laughs> probably got good crack, hasn't he? <laughs> <laughs> Bought in for the murder of Banton. Excellent. No, uh, no I, I, I couldn't possibly invite that maniac on board. Um, no, uh, purely for entertainment purposes, uh, Connor for real from Popstar. Oh, that's a great shout! Yeah, uh, he could do some. He, he can do some post dinner. Uh, a post-dinner performance for us from the greatest hits. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You know, and, and Cage watching it, you know, with a little glass of something like, oh, yeah, yeah. Very meta, very meta. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah. yeah, the jams would be off the scale. Oh, oh yeah. Kind of for real, was it? I mean... I, I love Andy Sandberg so much. He's He's just one of those people I would, you know, have at any dinner party, so, yeah. Plus, he does an excellent Nicolas Cage impression. <laughs> 
does. Oh, excellent, excellent. Um, lovely. I think um, I I found this very difficult in a lot of ways because obviously I'd like to spend it with JCBD, but um, I'm not going to say because it's all about gelling. It's all about you know we're going to be there together. And, I, I mean, if I was thinking along the lines of a character, I'm not bringing Darren McCord in from Sudden Death. I'm not doing that. <laughs> sad fireman. Uh, yeah, just <laughs> sad fireman. I, ha- I have access to the kids, but they don't want to see me. Yeah. Uh, just, just telling people not, you know, like imagine him getting upset when Cage gets out of his seat. Like, I told you not to move! <laughs> I said if the building was coming down, you don't move. Uh, <laughs> I just don't think it'd be great company. Um, we've—I was looking through our entire list of episodes, and we've not done many <laughs> with really nice, friendly characters before. It's quite hard to find someone who the guest now can't have him. Anyone in Conair, we, you know, I mean, like Cameron Poe might go off the deep end at any moment. Pigeon Lady from Home Alone 2. <laughs> <laughs> yes! Yeah, Pigeon Lady would be ace. Um, Donald Trump, he's soon to be homeless, so maybe we can invite him around. Fantastic. Uh, but no, who I'm going to go for is um, I saw a lovely video of Jeff Goldblum twinkling the ivories. Yes. Um, and I just think he'd be really nice to have around. You know, just a positive influence, lovely stories, you know, really enjoying the, oh, yeah, that's not a Jeff Goldman impression at all. <laughs> don't, don't say Woody Allen! <laughs> I, I don't think I can do a Jeff Goldman. Could anyone sure. do a Jeff Goldman impression? I don't he's know. A, he's uh, an enigma. Uh, uh, the, uh, there's usually a, a, like a, an, an unlocking word for an impression, isn't there, that lets you in <laughs> through the door. And I don't know what it is with Goldman. I've got no idea. Uh, oh, it's from... Um, uh, Mardel Poita, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> no, I can't carry on. I have no idea. But I just think he'd be a really nice addition. And obviously, he would bounce off Cage brilliantly. And then we've got the upstart scamp, uh, Connor for real there. So I think we've got a really great Christmas. Um, Trivial Pursuit would be amazing. Um, the Queen's Speech, I mean... We don't really have to watch it, do we? Those guys won't be interested. So that's great. I don't think I've ever um, watched the Queen's speech. I've never. It's not. Never was a tradition in my yeah. house. I don't know. I don't know why. We watched the alternative one on Channel Four. Where it's like Marge Simpson or something like that. <laughs> I think you, you like usually we've never sat down to watch it, but someone would come in, you know, like walk into the dining room afterwards and go like, "Yeah, she said the usual." <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah, we're gonna have a great year next year. You know, it's gonna be great <laughs> prosperity. Um, perfect. What a lovely Christmas we're gonna have. Um, nice. Off the back of that, we've got a little Christmas themed movie. Without this being a Christmas special, you'd be forgiven for thinking it might be. James, it was your pick this week. It was indeed. What have you got? Well, in tonight's film, a cine literate, charismatic doofus heads to LA with dreams of being a big star. But as with many Hollywood pipe dreams, things do not go well and the bodies soon start stacking up. The film is, of course, Shane Black's meta-comedy-noir, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. Let's go. Hurry up. It's not my fault. Just shut up and run. Hold it right there. 
Harry was a small-time crook. Oh, boy. Till he opened the door. Oh, no, no, we're not ready for your audition. Just take him, he's ready. You ready, right? To a really big break. Quit acting like the good guy. You got your partner killed. You killed him. <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. Old-school method. Get me Gabe Perry on the phone. But he'll need a real cop. Detective lessons tomorrow for your acting. Oh, you're the uh, consultant. If he wants to act the part. You must be Gabe Perry. Still gay? Me? No. I just like the name so much, I can't get rid of it. So what do you do? I'm a private detective. She thinks I'm a detective. Of all the idiot things to do. My sister. Honey, are you gonna help me? I gotta check my schedule. Can you help me, Harry? Because you're not gonna help me find okay, somebody okay. else. So sometimes I have other. Oh, uh, my caseload oh, is, is pretty. Thank you. From Shane Black, the creator of Lethal Weapon. Do not play detective. Moron. Go home before the bad guys do something bad right. to you. Two corpses in three hours. I mean, that's unusual, right? Yes. Comes a mystery. It's a frame up. First things first. Do you have the corpse? I, I got rid of it. You threw it away. Yeah. Look up idiot in the dictionary. You know what you'll find? A picture of me? No. The definition of the word idiot. That starts with a kiss. Why'd you lie to me? It was an excuse to stay around you, so I mean, I think. Ow! Did I just cut off your finger? Yeah. It's on the floor. Pick it up. Pick it up. And ends with a bang. Where is the girl? <laughs> You put a live round in that gun. Oh, yeah, there was like an 8% chance. Eight. Was Who taught you math? Yeah. Okay. Harmony! Robert Downey Jr. What do you think, I'm stupid? Val Kilmer. Yes, I think you're stupid. Kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Oh, hell. Kiss me. What? Kiss me. No, no, no. No, no, no. no. <laughs> These lessons suck. Okie dokie, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. James, why did you pick this film? And eventually, could you explain it to me, please? <laughs> um, <laughs> first things first. Um, yeah, so I remember before this came out, so when I, I used to uh, get Empire Magazine all the time and they did a huge feature on the fact that this film was coming out and it was the return of Shane Black, who hadn't had anything made since The Long Kiss Goodnight. And I'm a huge Shane Black fan. And when I found out that he was going to be directing this movie as well, uh, having known that he was a little disappointed with the way that some of his scripts had ended up in the 90s in terms of creative changes and what have you, that he was going to be in total control of this. I was hyped for it from the get-go. Uh, so I went to see it at the cinema with two of my housemates and we were the only people in there and I had an absolute hoot with it and I think it's a vastly underseen film that uh, needed to be brought to this very pod for reconsideration. I think those are extremely fine reasons. Uh, si, what is your relationship with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang then? It, I think a... I'm garbled by that. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, keep it in, it's fine. <laughs> this is a weird one for me because it's one of those movies that I've started to watch about six or seven times and just never finished it. So for whatever reason, I've watched the opening scene so many times and I was like, oh yeah, I've seen this. And then after that, I was like, oh no, yeah, I haven't seen this. Uh. I don't know what it, I don't know what it was. Like, I think it came out at a time where I was so, but was it, what year was this? 2005 it came out. Yeah. So I'm sure at this time I was extremely poor, so I couldn't really go to the cinema that much. And um, yeah, I, I think my brother had it on DVD and he was like, oh, you've got to watch this film. 
uh, and I just just could never. I just never got around to watching it. And then so many years passed, and I was like, "Oh, that this film's passed me by. I'm never going to watch this." So it was good to actually like be forced to sit down and watch it actually because I've heard <laughs> there's a lad I used to work with who um, he was very strict on what he would consider a five star film. He only had about ten films that he would class as five stars, and this was one of them. <laughs> so yeah, it was good to finally actually get around to sitting down and watching it in one sitting instead of just watching the first 20 minutes again <laughs> <laughs> and as we'll get to what quite a bold opening opener to this film as well so uh mm. interesting uh, for myself yeah james it's so funny i remember that exact spread in um in empire they yeah. they made such a thing of it didn't they um and there was a lot of talk about it being you know one of the most um original and interesting films coming out at the time at that time yeah and like you say it just sort of sank like it it came and went in a flash it did yeah and and the legacy of it you know i I still hear positive whenever it's mentioned i always hear it in positive circumstances but it's never left like a a long-standing imprint has it yeah, it's it's crazy, isn't it? Um, I mean, for me, I was just... Shane Black's one of my favourites. Like, for me, he's like the Aaron Sorkin of Hollywood action movies. Yeah. He's really got that formula locked down. And I was just so excited to see what he would do, having full creative control. And also, I knew that the budget was at a manageable level where there won't have been too much studio interference because it's a mm. fairly low-budget film this for Hollywood standards so I ju- I was just so hyped to see it Awesome, well, while we're on budget um, there's going to be two ways it qualifies um, budget and box office, is this how it how it gets in? Yeah, so as you say it sort of came and went where, with a bit of a whimper, so uh, it's produced by Joel Silver and he originally said that the film was budgeted at $10 million because Warner Brothers were not confident in the premise which is always a good start uh, <laughs> the film... <laughs> ran over and the final budget was $15 million. Warner Brothers apparently loved the film when it was screened and immediately opened it uh, at the 2005 Cannes International Film Festival, uh, but not in competition, where it got a standing ovation when it was finished. So they were feeling quite good about it that they might have a bit of a sleeper hit on their hands. Mm. But despite strong reviews, which I'm sure um, Simon will get onto. Uh, the box office earnings were not good. It trailed off with a whimper, only making fifteen point eight million worldwide on a fifteen million budget, and only four million of that was made in the United States. Wow! Wow! That's very surprising. Sheesh. Um, going with jo- a, a Joel Silver production, you say? Are we getting paid by Joel Silver? Because we I know it's on every week. <laughs> it's so funny. Like you know, whenever I see it, it's like, oh, here he is again. You know, and the other thing I think is, oh, there'll be nudity. <laughs> 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 cool. So, um, well, we, that's that settles that then. Um, although, like you say, I'm still shocked to hear that um, that more people didn't give this a go at the time. Why do you think that was? Just I can't think. But why do you think that was? I think it is uh, essentially. I mean, it's it's absolutely baffling to think of this now, given Robert Downey Jr.'s status in the world of Hollywood. But he was seen as a has been mm. at this point. Mm. And he couldn't open a movie to save his life. He uh, Previous to this film, he had been uninsurable because of some substance abuse problems he'd had and various arrests that he'd had uh, at the back end of the 90s and into the 2000s. So this was very much like 
they put him in because he's incredibly talented, but nobody was queuing up to see Robert Downey Jr. movies, and very much the same for Val Kilmer as well, who had burnt a lot of his bridges in Hollywood by this point as being someone Mm. who was well-known for being difficult to work with and was on the back of a few bombs as well. Um, So I think it's mainly down to the casting, but then you wouldn't have been able to make it at the budget level that they made it at Mm. with with higher profile actors at the time. So, um, so yeah, I think that probably hurt it at the time in terms of box office with audiences, just because the, the guys who were the leads in it weren't, weren't hot properties at the time. Yeah. That's fascinating. So a bit of a pun then in it to cast them to. It um, is, isn't it? Yeah. Crazy. I'm just going through, you know, his, uh, where he was back catalog wise before this. And it's just, with no disrespect to so many of these properties, but he's nowhere, really, is yeah. he? You know, he's in a few episodes of Ali McBeal. Yeah. He's got he's got Gothica with Halle Berry. Which is also a Joel Silver movie. Yeah, then suddenly you hit this movie and bang, it's just big project after big project. Well, yeah, I mean, Gothica is the one, it's sort of the gateway because he meets his his future wife, on that, who was an assistant for Joel Silver. Right. And it's through that connection that Joel Silver gets the idea to put him in the lead for this movie. Right. And then this is the movie of his that starts getting him the high-profile jobs after that. Without this, there's, there's no Zodiac, there's certainly no Iron Man Yeah. afterwards. And he's back in the game then, at that point. Can I ask, do you think... Um, I don't like saying this, really, but there is, um, there's a bit of a shtick, isn't there? Yes. You know, the motor mouth kind of um, hedonistic kind of guy, you yeah, know, yeah. like um, um, who embraces his vices and um, very smart witted, very smart mouthed. And it's never been. But, but do you think this is like the first perfect match of shtick and property and timing, perhaps not for this movie, for, but for springboarding him forward into all that was to come? Well, I think people saw this movie, like industry people went, went, oh, that's what you do with him. Yeah. Right, okay, that's what he's good at. And now that he's he's managed to put his troubles behind him and he's reliable and we can get him insured again, he's probably working for quite cheap. I think he made the first Iron Man movie for like $50,000 or something mm. like that, which sounds like a lot of money in isolation, but for mm. leading a massive Hollywood tentpole movie yeah. like that is is peanuts. So I think, and then obviously Iron Man's a hit and then the MCU comes after that and he's very much the figurehead of that. And now he's arguably the biggest movie star in the world. Yeah. And I think it can all be tracked back to the lead performance in this film. You can definitely imagine Jon Favreau watch this and when he's the guy because he he does have that John Favreau style in this as well, doesn't he? You know, like from Swingers where it's that quick, quick talking, you know, snappy Hollywood guy. And yeah, you're watching this, and I think you're right, Rob. I think this is the shtick what Robbie Downey Jr. took onto every film after he made this because it worked so well on screen. You can just see that from just sitting down and watching the film. Yeah. And now in hindsight, watching it in hindsight, where you do have all these Marvel movies where it's the same character, isn't it? It could easily just be Tony Stark. He's just doing this in those films. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's true. But he's just very good at it, it and is, there's not yeah. many in Hollywood who can do it as good as he can. And I think w- what we should stress as well, when we say shtick, that sort of shorthand, like yeah. it's, it's not supposed to be sound reductive because 
if everybody could do this, then everybody would. Exactly, yeah. And it's so difficult to have that level of charm. And in this, he's an absolute buffoon at the same time. <laughs> yeah, yeah I d- that's why I don't like using the word shtick, really, because it suggests something derogatory, which is not what I mean, but there's a patter. There is a, it's like a bit, isn't it? it it's, yeah, he's got, he's got a thing that he's doing that he's doing really, really well. And he's sort of, right, he's built this career. They've suddenly, I love that, James. Oh, we've, that's how you do it. That's what you do with the guy. Ah, because he looks nothing less than a a grade A movie star in this. Absolutely. And do you know who they were thinking about casting instead of him? I'd give you a thousand guesses and you would never be able to think who else they were thinking of casting in this role. It's like who was big at the time, like someone was humongous in the really short space of time of when this film came out. Uh, Jason Patrick. That was 10 years earlier, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I have actually seen who this is, so I don't want to ruin the reveal. Oh, no. Benjamin Bratt. <laughs> was he big in 2005? <laughs> I don't think he's ever been big, <laughs> Miss Congeniality around then, was yeah. he? <laughs> you have to think way out of the box in terms of a pop culture phenomenon that isn't necessarily movie-related but was everywhere. Oh, Justin Timberlake? It's, you're on the sort of... It's an MTV connection. Uh, Eminem? No, no. It is insane. It is insane. Johnny Knoxville. It <laughs> <laughs> was at the height. I mean, I know he gets his finger cut off at one point, but I just don't see it other than <laughs> no, that. I t- I t- you know, I mean, wow. Oh, that really did, yeah, really did catch me out. And I'm trying to see it. I mean, the hair's quite similar. <laughs> That's about it, really. Fascinating. Could have been Johnny Knoxville and Harrison Ford. That's who else they were thinking. <laughs> really? For, for Perry, yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, let's if we talk about Perry for a moment, um, Val Kilmer, welcome back to the podcast, Val. It's great to have <laughs> you, right? Um, yeah. There is 10 years between this film and Batman Forever. Yeah. Can you, I mean, that is just absurd. There's nine years between this film and the island of Dr. Moreau. I mean, it... His career is absolutely bonkers. So we're 15 years further on now, aren't we? Yeah. And, I mean, he's he's had sort of really well-documented... Um, Bus stops. <laughs> yeah, and God. stories where he's not particularly easy to work with. I always enjoy watching him. I don't think I've ever yeah. seen him and I've not enjoyed watching him. And this is sort of his last sort of significant kind of mainstream role before he's kind of relegated to the to the bargain bin action movie sphere that he's currently operating in mm. i think he'd come off this off oliver stone's alexander which was the film before this then he yeah. did this and i think he's got a small part in the denzel tony scott joint um deja vu and then he he's, he's straight to dvd after that really is i mean there's there's nothing i'm looking at it here there's a couple of bits in uh there's a couple of voice stuff um like he was in planes but you're right it, it's it really is put out to sort of pasture and he doesn't yeah. want to be. And it's ridiculous because he's incredible in this movie. He's I know. So yeah. good it's ti- it, honestly, it, 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 watching these two and their timing together is just a joy. It really yeah. is. I think it's very surprising to see that, that his career didn't go on a similar path as Robert Downey Jr.'s after this because they both put in career best turns, don't they, really, for this. In terms, yeah. Of, yeah. In terms of how yeah. to deliver dialogue, Val Kilmer is brilliant as... Was gay gay Perry, <laughs> and he's just yeah, that's the character name. He, the character he, name. But yeah. he just he just nails down a gay character so well without massive like extra, you know a massive stereotype or anything like that. He's just plays. I'm about to say plays it straight, but it's just very yeah yeah yeah. yeah. 
he's a character who happens to be gay, isn't it? It's not a yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it's not the defining thing of him. He's just the character, yeah. opposite. and he's he just does it so well. The back and forth between the two of them. I don't think Kilmer's been better than in this. He can do everything. His range is insane. He's <laughs> yeah. superb. Yeah, and I and I, I agree with you. I, I think it's mad. It's it's mad that he's not a massive massive star. And uh, looking at the talent he's got. Is it fair to say that the reason he's probably not a massive star is because of this? You know, because well, it's personality rather than not because of this. Sorry, yeah. because of his yeah, his person yeah, his own choices because of what he's done to make it that way. Possibly, I don't, I don't know. Obviously, we'd love Val if you'd like to come on and tell us all about <laughs> it. We'd we'd we we'd do a special, mate. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so, so sight. I'm waiting with bated breath. How how were the reviews? Yeah. Well, this movie might actually be the best reviewed film we've done. So far, I think. Um, and after a short hiatus, the sheriff is back. Uh, he did. Yes. Oh, Mick LaSalle did. Uh, what did. Are we. We're going to have to find a new theme tune for him, aren't we? Because we've decided we're not allowed to use what we've been doing. I don't think we decided well, we weren't no. allowed to use uh, it. We're just not allowed to use it. Have we been told we're not allowed to use it? No, 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 no. Not we just officially. sort of realised that <laughs> we should oh, did we? really be using it. Um, <laughs> but yes, Mick LaSalle did review this film and gave, he gave it a very, very solid review by saying, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang mocks, celebrates, wallows in and ultimately exemplifies the allure of the traditional Hollywood formula. Pauline Kael used the title Kiss Kiss Bang Bang for one of her collections of film reviews because she considered it a succinct summary of the movie's appeal. Black's postmodern take lives up to its title, though an added laugh laugh might have said it all. So Mick really liked it. Um, and a lot of the reviews were just similarly positive, making up for a massive 86% on Rotten Tomatoes. Woof! Slightly lower on Metacritic at 72. But the audience score on both is 87. Wow. wow was this? So yeah, it went down well with those who did actually see it, enjoyed it. And then it's really high on Letterboxd as well with 3.8 on there including this uh, four-and-a-half-star review from someone called Nice Guys, which reads, I'm so far up Shane Black's ass, I'm going to have to start paying rent. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. Yes, there's a lot of love for Shane Black um, and and this movie across the board, really. Everyone loved it, in particular, what we've just spoke about, the two leads, uh, the script, everyone loved that. yeah, it just went down really, really well on the review side. So even more surprising that it didn't sort of pull the numbers in. When was it released? Was it was it a Christmas release or is it just a set up? October, I think it came out in the States and then mm. probably November in the UK. I think it got a very small like release in the US and then it didn't do what they wanted it to do. So it didn't multiply after that. But the theatres that it was playing in, I think it was playing until January. The following year, like wow. because those those small theaters were selling it out and people were enjoying it, so I think people who saw it enjoyed it. Just not enough people went to see it. Yeah, not enough people have seen it. But yeah, it's um in the time since it's came out, it's been getting a lot of love on the places like Letterboxd. And yeah, you, you go on the page of Rotten Tomatoes and every single critic review is fresh. It's you know there's no yeah bad reviews on there. It got four out of five in Empire, I think. Yeah, it's just it's just really good across the board, really. Great to hear. I think it's always nice when you get one like uh, that comes on, which um, 
has been well reviewed. You know, it's like you don't feel like you have to justify its existence. Like, no, it is good. It is good. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, uh, it's not your average Bigfoot movie, which is good. <laughs> <laughs> there is a Bigfoot um, in it, though. Are you thinking about the B movie they cut to? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it, it's it's some kind of creature. I don't think it's your typical Bigfoot. I think. But, <laughs> You know, it's a crypto, crypto, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cryptozoologist fans out there, we can have that. We can have that. Yeah, that, that's good. the cutaway where he meets someone at the party, and, he, and she says like, "Oh, I'm an actress," and then it cuts to her crappy topless B movie <laughs> yes. scene. Is it? Is it that one? Presumably yeah. directed by Joel Silver. That bit. <laughs> I'll take over this one, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if he sounds like that. <laughs> Um, yeah, should we dive into the movie then? Um, Absolutely, yeah. I, I, yeah, I, I really like, um, you know, like we talked about Uneven Tone last week yeah. in um, Bigfoot Hitler movie. Uh, yeah. I can't say the whole title again. I, I feel like there's, there's a tone here that knows it's uneven and it wavers between it. And it's it's from a much more purposeful place, this. So it, it opens like feeling like a family Christmas movie, this music at the start. I feel like I'm, you know, it's like, it's Chris Columbus directing this. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we open, don't we? In uh, is it Indiana that the the uh, small town? They talk about it enough. I can't, <laughs> I can't remember where it is. It's all lovely sepia tone, isn't it? And um, it's all yeah, lovely wholesome music to this birthday party. Ooh, yeah, yeah, and yes. um, and what we have is a, a magic show in progress, don't we? Uh, we have a young magician played by uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s son about to carve. His his friend uh, Harmony in two, and all is going well. We're familiar with this magic trick. Uh, when she starts screeching and screaming like she's being murdered, <laughs> for the parents to rush over, and uh, all of a sudden you find she's absolutely fine. And then she says uh, to what we assume is her father, "I'm going to be an actress." And he winds up to clock her one, and then <laughs> Bosch was straight into some very, very stylish opening titles with yes. some lovely, lovely music. Gorgeous title sequence, isn't it? Amazing really sequence, good. isn't it? Yeah, really, really good. What happened to title sequences? Why does nobody bother with them anymore? I, I don't know. Do, I, I, the last time I saw one that I thought well, was a bit far was the Bruce Willis film Hostage. And everyone said, you know, you've got to watch these titles, you've got to watch these titles. And they were so overblown. <laughs> it's like... I can't, you know. It's all I can remember from that shocking movie. <laughs> a few of them kind of leave it to the end now. Yeah. Um, Mission Impossible still do, does a big, yeah, lovely Good. intro sequence, doesn't it? Where it does the old, like, spoils the whole movie. in <laughs> like, <laughs> like the TV series used to do. But yeah, like, lovely little animated ones, like um, Catch Me If You Can and things like that. With yeah. Gorgeous... Didn't Matchstick Men have a really Matchstick good one Matchstick well, Men had a really good so, one, yeah. Yeah. It must just be fashion. It must just be like a fashion thing. It's not really, yeah, possibly. You know, it's yeah. been done, and so people don't really want to, tr- you know, retread that path over and over. So they just try. Something. I mean, but this is quite a small budget film, isn't it? So they found the money in the budget to make a nice yeah, little title true. sequence. Yeah, yeah. Like, so I can't understand yeah. why a bigger budget movie couldn't. Uh, you know, so I like it as a nice little tone setter. You start getting the noir vibes from the score. Yeah, it definitely feels like that, and it's got all the. Um... Uh, like key locations, hasn't it? You know, it has, yeah. in that you know, like little giveaways as to what's to come, yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's like it's like a little bit of a teaser, a little taster. Yeah. 
you know, if you like that, you know, get a load of this. The music's great, isn't it, as well? Like, it's like a golden age yeah. of Hollywood score. It's a very it is, Hollywood isn't it? Yeah. movie, isn't it? I think that was the, it is, yeah, the it first is. thing, I, you know, after this title sequence and we head into this party yeah. in the Hollywood Hills, you're just like, oh, this is a very L.A. movie. and it's Well, yeah. of, of the three of us, um, I know I've never been to L.A. James, have you ever been to L.A.? I haven't, no, no. No. So, Simon, I know you've been to L.A. I've been a few times, yeah. Is it like this? Um, I never went to a fancy party in the hills in someone's mansion, but... Um, Shane Black's actual mansion. Shane Black's oh, actual mansion. Oh, was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There is something magical about L.A. I, I, I really really like it it's um you know it's quite pretentious i'm not going you know, <laughs> but there's a there is a good vibe to it um it's depressing in the sense that you really see the separation of rich people and poor people which you don't really see in movies that's the thing they kind of mm. keep out of of hollywood films. right right so that is a bit depressing but it's definitely got a personality as a city i think Do, does it have shitloads that... of traffic christ so much traffic <laughs> <laughs> Does it have that suggestion that this movie plays upon that um, lots of people are out there trying to make it? Yes, that uh, whole thing about everyone in a restaurant is a aspiring actor is very true. Right. They're all really good looking, yeah. <laughs> like, and it's just they're just like this is a stopgap until they get spotted by Joel Silver, uh, <laughs> someone. You know, so that is a that very much a thing. It's not. I don't think it's played up that sort of notion what you have with that yeah no I'm just uh, interested because I feel like um, uh, Shane Black takes direct aim at he that. does yeah, yeah. as yeah, a man totally. who's yeah. who's profited a lot from Hollywood he also has an axe to grind and I think that's what I like about this film it's directed by a guy who doesn't care whether he gets to make another movie again and he's going after everybody because this <laughs> film as well as being a noir and a comedy and having action and violence it is a film about LA isn't it and it's a it's taking aim at Hollywood and just as this party he he is absolutely training his eyes on people who were just trying to climb the ladder in Hollywood, isn't it? It really is, yeah. And uh, just like, the, f- I, al- I already knew I was going to love this movie straight away because it's very knowing, it's very meta. So we're introduced to Harry, who's played by uh, Robert Downey Jr. And um, he says, hi, I'm Harry, I'll be your narrator in voiceover. And he's uh, talking about how swanky this LA party is. And it's the sort of party where you bump into a girl called Jill, who spells it J-Y-double-L-E. <laughs> <laughs> And it's like that is the that is the tone straight away, and we're in. Yeah, it's very sardonic. It's very pleased with itself. This movie, and it's just made by guys. You know, the two leads very pleased to be there to be acting, having leads in in this sort of uh, production. I think Michelle Monaghan is an up and coming actress. She's really going for it, and mm. Shane Black has made his bones in the nineties. It doesn't matter whether he gets to make a movie again, so he's making it exactly how he wants to make it, and it's really confident considering it's his directorial debut. Mm. Yeah. I, that's often overlooked, isn't it, that um, it's his directorial debut? I didn't realise it was, actually. Yeah, he was always just a script... You know, he, he you have all these stories of him selling his scripts in the 90s for six-figure sums, you know, after the success of Lethal Weapon. But he was never the director on those. Tony Scott did The Last Boy Scout. Uh, McTiernan did Last Action Hero and Rennie Harlan did The Long Kiss Goodnight so this is the first time that he's actually got complete creative control of one of his one of his screenplays very interesting 
Very interesting. Because um, everyone at this party is pretty much ghastly. <laughs> they're, like, they're ghastly caricatures, aren't they? Apart yeah. from um, lovely Larry Miller. He's <laughs> the biggest caricature of the plot. It's just lovely to see his lovely rigatoni, buitoni face there. Yeah, it is. Face is less round than last week, <laughs> but the 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 lovely button eyes are just adorable here. He's so nice. Great, to, great to have you back, Larry. Great to have you. Um, we go back in time, don't we, to how uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s character um, got to the um, party, yeah. and it's it's such a brilliantly convoluted thing that happens that. It's played so expertly that it just makes complete sense and carries and it works. Yeah. And he's so he's he's robbing somebody. He's a small time thief in New York, and he's robbing um, a toy Duncan's shop. Duncan's toy chest. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. These found the cachet of turtle doves. <laughs> so as he's leaving with a cachet of turtle doves, um, he's spotted by uh, a, a woman on the stairwell who sort of starts shooting at him, um, and in. The cops are coming, and in sprinting, he ends up in an audition. <laughs> he just opens the door, and there's an audition, and he's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, it's just amazing, isn't it? He's he's been shot. His mate's been shot to death by the owner of the shop. We should say as yeah. well. Yes, that's and true. And he's caught a stray bullet as well. Yeah, and the, the, in this audition, there's like a, a serendipitous connection in the script. He's about to read to what's actually just happened, which uh, convinces Larry Miller that he's a he's the new Marlon Brando. <laughs> It's super, isn't it? And he's he's weeping on that on that exec's lap, isn't he? Like, oh. <laughs> and, you know, and they're looking at each other. Oh yeah, method. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's so good, and it works. It just works, and it's that kind of that writing that you know. Gosh, it must have been fun to write this at times. It must have been a massive headache, but it must have been fun at the same time. Yeah, I, I think he he didn't make, he didn't write anything for a long time. He was suffering with writer's block, and it took him a year and a half to finish the script. Uh, and right. then he had the trouble of shopping it around as well. Um, so, but you can see it's so convoluted. Mm. Everything that's in there is thought out to the minor detail. Uh, even the toy that he's stealing for his niece at the, on, <laughs> in the shop <laughs> comes back later yeah. on because it's based on a TV show, yeah. and that's how we end up getting to know Michelle Monaghan's character. It's crazy, isn't it? Th- this intro in the party is just a great way to pull in every main character and every main player of the film in one setting. It's a perfect excuse to put it in one setting. And then you've got this back and forth in a timeline of how each character got to this party and how they're there. And it's a great setup. It's just the perfect setup and and how it all goes into one another. And um, you've got Downey Jr.'s narration pulling it all together. And, and, you know, you said James before, it's very meta and it it knows it's a film. Um, and there's a lot of fourth wall breaking, which isn't to like everyone's tastes, but it's done really well. And it's just, and I think there's not many writers who could get away with it as no. good as Shane Black. I don't think. No, absolutely. And he, get, what I love that he builds into it is he keeps fucking it up as well. The narration, like it's <laughs> like, oh shit, I've, this is bad narrating. I I forgot to tell you this bit. This is like my dad telling a joke. <laughs> <laughs> and then there's other parts as well where so he eventually does he meet when does he meet Perry? Is it before or after he gets his ass kicked? It's just after he gets his ass kicked, isn't he? Yeah, because he protects Michelle Monaghan's asleep. 
inside, you know, the character yeah. there. And um, she's found all these Johnny Gossamer books, which is a brilliant title for, uh, you know, for, sorry, brilliant name for a private eye, yeah. um, for a fictional private eye. And, um, yeah, she falls asleep and this guy, horrid, horrid, sleazy dude Hollywood comes in. Hollywood type. Oh, God. It's oh, just gross. And, um, yes, Downey Jr. promises to lay the smack down on him. Um, and it doesn't go that way. <laughs> it just it so well. <laughs> what a cut that is! Because he just like giving it the big one, like me and you will go outside if you don't. And then it cuts, and he's just getting absolutely pummeled in the garden. <laughs> <laughs> and this this is the um, this is the first real incl- suggestion of the violence in this film because it's a violent movie. It is a violent. Um, but uh, and the violence, I mean, it, it every punch, every impact, every gunshot sounds and looks like it hurts you know yeah, and it's, it's very hard boiled isn't it as it, it is. goes on it gets more it becomes more of a noir doesn't it and the it does violent, yeah yeah and the sure. stakes get ratcheted up and it's still funny all the way through but it does go to quite some dark some very dark places oh, it really does. as well yeah, like, yeah, really yeah yeah for sure and then uh, so we've it emerges that um perry uh, val kilmer has been hired to take him through the ropes a little bit of being a, a detective. For research, isn't it? Yeah. For, for yeah, research, research purposes, for a role. Because they're all thinking that, yeah, he's going to be the next golden goose of acting, isn't he? Uh, um, what's his name? Dwayne Johnson. Dwayne Johnson! <laughs> <laughs> Where's he come from? Uh, Downey Jr. D&J, you know. <laughs> so... Um, yeah, and then, and then they go off, you know, uh, uh, investigate. But oh, actually, sorry, no, he because this is one of the things, isn't it? It's going to be quite hard to follow the trails of this film through. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. we're going to have to duck and dive a little bit because yeah. even the delivery of the film is hard to follow when it happens because we're dim- diving through timelines quite readily. Amazingly, it's more convoluted than the man who killed Hitler and then the big. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but yes, we get introduced to Harlan Dexter and his daughter, don't they? Who've had. In the past, some form of disagreement, and there was a court case, but now everything seems rosy again. Um, and Shane Black brings our attention to to this scene by stopping the movie and going, oh, that was a terrible scene, wasn't it? <laughs> I wonder if that's going to come back later on and be massively important. <laughs> which, which it will be. And yeah, so basically... What's happened is that uh, Danny Jr. is going to meet up with Val Kilmer's Perry, the private eye, the next night for detective lessons. But in the meantime, he wants to go and catch up with Michelle Monaghan, who is um, who plays Harmony Faith, who is his long lost love from his hometown back in Indiana or wherever the hell they're from. And he goes to meet <laughs> her at, at a bar, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And again, front and centre is skewering this culture. Um, you know, um, I th- there's there's a moment, you know, where someone comes over. It's Flicker, isn't it? Comes over and says hello, yeah. and he says, uh, oh, "I'm a, you know, well, I can't remember what he said, but she says she's an air stewardess." So, like, I'm going to go and see who else is here, and he says, "Oh, that's it." <laughs> <laughs> You're not important yeah, enough yeah. to speak. Yeah, yeah, it's superb, isn't it? <laughs> I really like it, and and yeah, he sees Michelle Monaghan and. Really nasty friend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, brilliant. But, like, they have this back-and-forth dialogue. It's real rat-a-tat, isn't it? And it's, Yes, it is, yeah. That's why I compared Shane Black to Aaron Sorkin, because even though he does, they don't make the same type of movies, they've both got this gift with quotable dialogue that yes. really zips and zings as well. Yes. He's trying to chat up Harmony, 
who he doesn't think remembers him and he's cracking on that he doesn't remember her and um oh what does she uh, there's a great line where the friend comes off and tells him to buzz off basically and it's a recommended place for cheese bowls for for cheese bowl guys and he goes your mouth is a recommended place for a sock like it's just <laughs> quick as anything it's absolutely fantastic <laughs> I love this bit with with the like with the the lookalikes where he, he goes like oh I'm just gonna go off and hang around near Native American Joe Pesci oh, and then yeah. it cuts to dude looks like Joe Pesci. <laughs> I just like love stuff like that it's just so yeah funny. for fans of of lookalikes that this is gold gold standard <laughs> it's absolutely yeah oh it's great and then lo and behold he wakes up with the the girl the the, the nasty friend in the morning. I was yeah. so gutted when that happened. Um, <laughs> Why would he do that? What an idiot. I don't, yeah, I just don't. So, um, I've written, yeah, waking up with a best mate, harrowing depression. Um, <laughs> and it is harrowing depression. Because um, he's a complicated guy and he's put Michelle Monaghan on such a massive pedestal that yeah. he just automatically thinks he can't get there. So he settles for the, the best friend, you know. And there's a brilliant line there when he's explaining it, you know, like, I settled for the ugly best friend. Well, she's not ugly, she's homely. But, you know, it's, like, it's, like, it's, it's awful, it's really d- <laughs> digging a terrible hole. Um, and it's great, and I like it because it's not conventional. Yeah. Guy meets girl, girl meets guy, Get they get together, the movie plays out. It's not conventional in that way at all. No, and he's always been pining for her, isn't it? Because it, what transpires is that she had a really difficult childhood with an abusive father, mm. And he was sort of her best friend and her confidant, but he really, he really was in love with her. And she was kind of having sex with the other boys in high school instead of instead of sleeping with him. And he has like this whole thing, like, like I found it really weird that that you could pity someone and still want to have sex with them. Like you're being a shoulder to cry on while you've got a Rodney. Is that weird? Like. <laughs> Michelle Monaghan gets a real chance to shine here, doesn't she, in a very complicated role. Um, and it's it's great. She's brilliant. She's brilliant in every single scene that she's in. She's yep. got so much effervescence, hasn't she? And she's yep. smart as well. And she doesn't take any nonsense from him either at all. Yeah. Yeah, She's just it's just a great... It was a real star-making turn, wasn't it? Because she had a real was, good yeah. run after that. She had, like, Mission Impossible 3. She was casting, yeah. wasn't she, as, uh, as Tom Cruise's wife. And then, obviously, she... Was she in True Detective season one? She as was, well? yeah. She was. Um, uh, what's his name? Um, she was wife, wasn't she? She was, yeah. She was Woody Harrelson's wife in that. Um, yeah, and she was amazing in that. And she was Angie Gennaro in Gone Baby Gone. Yeah, the... she was, yeah, yeah. And she's yeah. just great, and she's really good in this movie. She's excellent, yeah, absolutely excellent. So then, I mean, he goes off with Perry for a bit. A car goes off a cliff, and uh, there's a, a girl in it, and this girl ends up back putting his. Apartment because the because he disturbed the this trying to dispose of a body, they um try and frame him for it and this is just when he turns and urinates on this corpse in the shower, I just can't. I, it's just su- superb and possibly all too real. And his reaction while he's doing it, oh, ah, 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 <laughs> and then it gives that brilliant because then he rings Perry, doesn't he? It's just you know like and I peed and on Perry's it. Perry's already got zero time for it. <laughs> yeah, like, Perry's he's had a full evening idiot. with him, right? So <laughs> they were staking out this house. A, a car ends up in the lake. They hear something in the car, don't they? So they go in there and try and get it out. And Perry has to shoot the lock, and it turns out that it, there was a 
dead girl in the back of the car, but because he's had to shoot at the lock, the bullets ended up going into her head. It's really grim stuff, isn't it? But it's sort yeah. of played for laughs. It's really jet black, the comedy in it this. It is, yeah. And then he gets upset with him because... Uh, to dispose of the weapon, Robert Downey <laughs> throws it into the lake. <laughs> Next to the car. <laughs> yeah. And Perry's really upset because that was a gift from his mother. He's really, really had enough of Harry. And then he gets back to the hotel where where he's been told that Harmony has killed herself. But then Harmony arrives at the hotel, yes. alive and well. Yes. Turns out it was her sister who was committing suicide, but Harmony believes she was murdered. And then, yes, it's at this point that he discovers there's a, the corpse that he found in the lake is now in his shower in the hotel, and he's surprised and he urinates on it. Thank you. James, you explained that so much better than I did. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, and he says, go look for the gun with some gloves on. And he says, gloves? What kind of gloves? <laughs> there is fawn. I don't care. <laughs> fawn gloves are just... It's their patter is so so great. It's brilliant, and they they end up shoving a body down the you know off the of, off the building basically. They throw it <laughs> off then, the roof. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they have to go and um, and put it in the car. Michelle Monaghan appears. They have to send the cops back in by pretending that they're um, they're well, you know, the lovers, I suppose, yeah. uh, down a back alley. There's so many great moments of cinema here. You know, cinematic moments that really really work. Every, there's not a wasted scene in this. I was so surprised, given how much I knew the story covered, when I actually looked at the runtime, and it's under 100 minutes. Yeah. Like, they pack everything in there. It's really economical. There's not a single wasted scene mm. in terms of the actual propulsion of the story. There's a couple of things that don't work towards the end, but we'll get to them near enough. But it's really, really economical. But there's just so much ground that's covered in yeah, it. Yeah, and, and they have to move quickly. And it's not... It doesn't feel too plotty no. either. Like, it is quite a convoluted plot, but then I think by the time it all unravels itself at the end, yeah. it's quite straightforward. It's just the way in which he chooses to dole out the information makes it seem more convoluted than it actually is, I think. Mm. No, I'd, I'd agree totally. Um, yeah, and, and and that, obviously, in turn for us, that gives us a lot to press through, doesn't it? Because it they pack yeah. so much in. Because in a moment, he loses his finger. <laughs> <laughs> in the door frame, and it's such a mad throwaway moment. <laughs> oh, right, the main character's actually lost his finger here. And it's when he goes to Michelle Monaghan's place to apologise. Um, for pretending for to be a detective. Because <laughs> <laughs> Perry set us straight. Perry does not want anything to do with this. Yeah, he just admits everything, doesn't he, to him? And he's just like, I just can't be arsed with you anymore. <laughs> so I'm just going to tell you, tell you what, yeah, yeah. what exactly is going on. And I just can't. You know. Yeah, and, and he, they end up. Um, they think Perry's going to be assassinated in the park, don't they? Yeah. Um, and they'd be right because they need to get Perry out of the picture now as well because they thought they'd got Robert Downey Jr. out of the picture. They need to get Perry out of the picture. He knows too I'm much. I'm learning as he? I go he's, here. He's he knows too much. Yeah, that's right. Too much. Yeah. So because I think by this point, I'm not going to lie to you. I was a bit lost at this point. I was just like, I yeah. am not, I'm. I, Kind of a, no idea what's going on. I don't know who this woman in the lake was. I don't know who Fingy's sister is. Uh, you you really have to pay attention to the dialogue and what you do, don't you? Yeah, specifically what Perry's saying because they're they're just trying to get to the bottom of this. Yes, which which seems like it's two different cases, doesn't it? Yeah, her sister killing herself and who this was in the back of the trunk. Yes, the boot in the UK. <laughs> And 
Harry's caught in the middle of both of them, isn't he? He's just like a bystander of, yeah. you know, he's a victim of circumstance of what's happened with these two people he's got this loose connection with. And he's only been in LA. He's, he keeps saying, doesn't he? Like, I've only been in LA like a day. Why do people know who I am? And why am, why am I getting framed for this shit? <laughs> <laughs> he's just completely lost to what's going on. Am I right in this? That this The woman in the back of the car is the daughter of the guy in the start. From the party. Yes. The guy who's hosting the party. That's his daughter in the back of the car, isn't it? Harlan Dexter's daughter. Yes. Yes. Right. right. Yeah. So if Real we sort daughter. Of, yeah. Real daughter. So yeah. basically, the the mystery in the end, if we sort of, so that we're not tripping over ourselves as we go yeah. through, the mystery in the end is that Harlan Dexter's daughter uh, was bringing some legal proceedings against her father. He wasn't having that, and he owns a psychiatric hospital, okay, that he had a lot to weigh in, and then he had a ringer posing as his daughter for out and about right the way that this turns uh, this uh, ties in with harmony's sister is that harmony and her sister were victims of their abusive father right and what harmony did to protect her sister was tell her that the evil man who kept on hurting her was not a real father but a real father was an actor who was this guy this character whose name was johnny gossamer Harlan Dexter, who played Harlan him in the movie. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Yeah, right. Now, what's happened is, is that Harlan Dexter has a ringer playing his daughter, but he's also having a sexual relationship with this girl that he's not related to. So then, when Harmony's sister comes to find her real, what she believes is her real father, she sees him having an inappropriate relationship with that girl who she believes is his daughter. Who then, and then that then sends her off on a spiral because now her real dad is abusive, just like her, yeah, the guy who she didn't think was her father back in Indiana, and she then turns to suicide, and that's how it all connects together. So basically, it's all down to this shit, Harlan Dexter. <laughs> <laughs> well explained. I'm there. Yeah. there we, that's it. Thank you. Yeah, Jay. Sure. You deserve an award, man, for that. Just Thank like a Johnny much. Gossamer novel, as, um, yes, as exactly. Robert Downey Jr. says when they go out the stakeout. <laughs> it's like it's like it's really cool. You'd have these two cases that weren't that didn't seem related, and then pow, they because <laughs> it is very convoluted and something what is like that traditionally you would sort of pick apart and find mm-hmm. like holes in the logic and things like that. But he's not a dummy, Shane Black. He's he's. It's all thought out no. and it's all, mm. everything fits into place. And it's a very, in the end, it is a very well executed story. It's just by this point when we're getting to uh, uh, Perry about to, he's being trailed by the, by the, the two goons. Um, I'm, I'm just completely lost in it. And there's Shannon Sossaman's yeah. in it. In a, in a, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So she's, she's the ringer. She's the ringer. Yeah. Out, yeah. And, and she's yeah. sort of helping these guys sort of get to Perry. I thought, yeah, like she's not even got, she doesn't really say that much. And I'm like, oh, Sharon Sossaman's in it. And then she's yeah. just in it for like five minutes. I'm like, oh, well, we talk about actresses whose careers just come and go in the blink of yeah. an eye. She's yeah. one of them. Like, I yeah. Yeah, I was surprised. Uh, she's also in, in that excellent scene, isn't she? Because um, the scene in the bed yeah. where she gets shot and Downey Jr. is under the bed, mm. she dies and he's shushing her. So as not to give away where he is with him away, uh, yeah, yeah, give it, give it, yeah, and, and it's great, and and again, you know, this this shows Downey Junior's abilities and capabilities in the range as well. But then he he's as he's crying, you know, tearful. Um, it, it's brilliant. It's a great scene because and then because then he obviously he 
bust a cap in the other dude. Yeah. Um, can I ask what what favorite instrument returns to the pod? A, a pod favorite uh, bit of bit of music musical. What in the score or like in the scene? In the score. In the score. Yeah. It's a big sax score, isn't it? <laughs> Not at this moment. This is the only time I heard it throughout the entire thing. Is it someone licking a guitar like? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> No, it's actually, it's a return of the lovely wee bugle from The Punisher. (laughs) 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 And it just, it was lovely. Welcome back to the the podcast, wee bugle. (laughs) (laughs) It was great. and and then the dog takes the the finger, oh, eats yeah. the finger. I mean, it's just uh, these are throwaway moments that just are so lasting. Like uh, what? What? It's brilliant because like you go from this this scene where and it's so well acted by Downey Jr. as well because he he's this poor girl's been been murdered by one of the henchmen who earlier ripped off his reattached finger, which so he's not <laughs> happy with them anyway. Very uh, He ended up in this house because he fell asleep in the back of a car and the car got stolen. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's that kind of movie. It just moves. It is, yeah. You just, just got to go yeah. with it. Yeah, that's it. You've got to go with it, yeah. And he picks up the gun that's been left on the bed and he points it at the guy, but he won't... He, he's not a stone-cold killer. He's a mm. petty thief from New York and he, he doesn't look at him when he's and he shoots him four times doesn't he yeah and it's like he doesn't want to kill him but then at the same time he's so angry because he's killed this poor innocent girl as well like it's just a great complex piece of acting as well and then in between that a dog eats his finger which he's put on ice and then he has to tell perry that he had to kill a man and he's never had to do that before as well while he watches a dog eat his finger it's just there's a lot of spinning plates going on here like (laughs) there is is, but it's all really really memorable um they call the case then don't they they say they've solved it yeah yeah it's all solved we all know who did everything all great and he goes off on the razzle dazzle with michelle monaghan for old time's sake um because he begs her to come into the you know the hotel they fight again. He kicks her out because she reveals that she's because he holds on to that, doesn't he? Like where he said, like she slept with everyone in high school, but my best friend. And as long as she didn't sleep with the best friend, then I'm fine with it. And then she admits that she actually did sleep. With Can you name that best friend? Yeah, what was his name? It was super. I can't remember what was it. It's one of the best character names I've ever heard. Is it like it's called Chuke Chutney? <laughs> Because <laughs> earlier so in the in the film, he's telling Perry about this guy. He goes, "What's his name? Chew Chutney. Yeah, he's gay." Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, super stuff. Um, and there's this the whole fourth wall busting narrative thing is going on. I mean, like at this point, you've got Robert Downey Jr.'s character is sort of explaining <laughs> to us as we go. It's great. I mean, what a lovely way of you know if you're in a narrative. Um, trap or plot yeah, yeah. sort of confusion when you're that you've it, written like, yourself into yeah, yeah you've just poured yourself into it like I'll just get the main character to explain it to the audience we'll just do that it's fine yeah it's so self-aware because like you, you'd imagine that as Shane Black's writing it he's going this doesn't make a sense I'm just going to have to explain he's, he's, his inner monologue is explaining everything yeah. in the script yeah. but there's a bit in it where um Robert Downey Jr. just says like, "Oh God, this is exhausting," and I'm like, "Yeah, it is. This <laughs> is exhausting. <laughs> million miles an hour, and it's so confusing what's uh, happening." Yeah. Um, and it's just so self-aware that it has its main character 
point out all the problems with the film <laughs> in itself. Yeah. yeah, it knows exactly. Yeah, it knows exactly what its own problems are, and but they're purposeful problems because they're uh, adhering to that pulpy style yeah, and noir style totally, of storytelling, yeah. aren't they? Yeah. 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 He's so familiar with the genre that he's completely deconstructing it and de- yes. deconstructing his own screenplay as he's going. I always wonder with this, did the voiceover come first or was he just trying to make a straight sort of snappy noir? And he went, oh God, this isn't going to make any sense. And then he went back and deconstructed <laughs> his own movie. I think, I'm not sure, but I think I um, read the script for this at one point because, you know, everyone's yeah. talking about the script being amazing. And um, I think it was all there uh, yeah. for a large... Sort oh, of I'm sure it was. Debate. I just think if he got, when he yeah, finished yeah, outlining no, it, it was mean, like... Yeah. You won't be surprised. Like, it's a tall order, this, for yeah. anyone to keep on this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they go to... Um, uh, a mental hospital, don't they? Um, yes, because they were tipped off earlier. When they found the body of the woman in the car, they found that she had no underwear on. And then he tells Perry this, and Perry like puts it all together straight away and realizes yeah. that in the psychiatric ward, the patients would just be wearing hospital gowns and things like that, and they wouldn't be wearing any underwear. And that's like it's like the the it's like the big smoking gun, isn't it? And he's yes, it is, and they're off it? to the psychiatric ward. And some of the best stuff in the movie happens in and around this psychiatric hospital. It's absolutely fantastic. So they're sort of investigating around there and <laughs> they come upon and what we believe is an orderly at the hospital, but he's actually a henchman, oh, isn't gosh, he? Yeah. Yes. And it's just fantastic what happens there. It's, it's, I, I, laugh, I love it in films when you laugh and you're not, but it's so outrageous what's happened, you have to laugh. There's no other option than yeah. to laugh at what happens. I mean, it starts out brilliantly because he catches the two of them snooping around, right? And Perry's the one who's giving him smart mouth, <laughs> but he hits Downey Jr. with the gun, right? <laughs> and then when they turn the tables on him and get the upper hand on him, right? It's so petty, but it makes me laugh so much, right? Perry gets disarms him, gets the gun back off him, and uh, Danny Jr. grabs it and just pistol whips him so pettily. He's like, oh, that sucks, doesn't it? I just hit you for no reason whatsoever. Because <laughs> <laughs> this is the bit where um, he, he's trying to get answers and he he, um, he tries to he plays Russian roulette, doesn't he? And he just puts one bullet yeah. in the chamber and then... He's like, oh, you got to tell us what, what happens, and then shoots him. And he's like, why did you shoot me? He's, he's like, I didn't mean to. It was like, an, I put one bullet in, like it was 8% chance. And he's like, 8%? Who taught you math? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so funny. Yeah. And then they've got another body they've got to deal with. And um, like by this point, Perry's just like, oh, just wrap him up. <laughs> he's just, oh, so God. bored with everything. Yeah, yeah, fed up. Of having to do this over and over and over again, uh, and he's on the phone to Michelle Monaghan, and this is this is my, I, you know, I don't want to say my favourite moment, but it's it's up there where he's, you know, he's saying he's on the floor going, it was eight percent, it was, 8%. and he says, stop multiplying, not you. <laughs> it, it's the throwaway nature at the time. It's just super. It's just super. It's a joy, yeah. a joy to watch. Um, and then we end up on this, um, the shift in this body, aren't they? And we end up, it's in a big coffin. And who's the body, by the way? It's, it's, is it the sister? 
Um, yes, yeah, so it's it, no, it was the ringer. They're taking her so, to be uh, cremated, yes, aren't they? It. Yeah. It's Shannon's. Yeah, so yeah. they get captured by Dexter and his henchmen, don't they? <laughs> There's torture as well, which has already been signposted as well. Because yeah. when they think they've wrapped up the mystery, Perry asks them, Oh, is it enough like a Johnny Gossamer novel for you? He goes, eh, there's usually more of an explosion, and <laughs> someone usually gets tortured as well. So that was signposted. <laughs> <laughs> Downey Jr.'s got electrodes on his nads. <laughs> Perry's uh, accusing the, the guy who's torturing them of being closet homosexual as well, which then <laughs> which then enrages him. He approaches him and he shoots him with a small derringer that he keeps by his balls, which has been introduced <laughs> earlier in the movie as well. That's a great throwaway line as well when they're escaping in the hospital he's on the phone to to Harmony again he goes uh, uh, she must have asked him something like how did you get away he goes oh, I shot him with a small derringer that I keep by my balls <laughs> 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 Val Kilmer gets all the best lines in this yeah. movie it's he, so he, he good. really does he really does and, and he then... just throws he just throws them away so casually and that makes him so much so yes. much funnier he's a great character Perry, yeah. a really good character, um, and we end up with this, um, which is the the like the signature action piece of the film. It's the really. only action. It is, isn't it? Set yeah. piece in the whole film. Um, yeah. But what took me, you know, essentially, it, it, lots of moving parts again. Uh, yeah. Coffin goes off a bridge, but lands precariously on a, a road sign. There's cars all over the shop. Uh, there's Harlan Dexter's there, and but the thing is, I, I think this is brilliantly edited, choreographed and shot and so that you know the exact geography of the scene. It's the so slick. Time. It's really You know exactly well what's going on. It's brilliant, yeah. It's his brilliant filmmaking and, and it shines through. So, you know, Black can even do the action stuff great. Yeah. You know, like, it's it's brilliant. I really enjoyed this moment. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Because he ends up hanging off the overpass, doesn't he, by the arm that's hanging out it's the coffin. So, again, it's And mad. there's a gun on top of the coffin, isn't there? And yeah. because he used to be a magician, he's got good sleight of hand and he manages to... That's such a cool move as well, isn't it? He oh, it hits is. the coffin, the gun jumps off, he catches it in his spare hand, shoots Dexter, who's up on the overpass, and then he's shooting at a car that's approaching. He turns into John McClane at this point. It's he really does, does. Yeah, yeah. better than John McClane. Bloody John Wick. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, like Suddenly he's pulled off this absolute wizardry. Well, he's a bit pissed off at this point, isn't he? Because Perry's... Well, we believe we believe Perry's been offed, like he's yes, been shot. Yes. Perry's gone yes. as far as we know at this point, and so does Harry. So he, that's where he—that's probably inspires him to be this action hero, where he's just popping fools like nobody's business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's getting quite used to this sh- whole shooting people. Thing. Yeah, you know, he's getting there now with it. Um, speaking of um, uh, wizardry. Uh, the movie ends with a um, a lovely Lord of the Rings disc. It does, yeah. For you, James. <laughs> so good. So on point as well. Like, uh, as it turns out that Perry isn't dead, and they do a great joke as well, where uh, basically he's like, he says in voiceover, oh yeah, I hate it as well, but you know, the studio get worried that you're going to go out on a downer ending. Why don't we bring up uh, back all the dead characters and the two dead henchmen work, walk in and Shannon <laughs> Sossaman and Abraham Lincoln, I think Elvis <laughs> yeah, stands yeah, up at one point super, as well. Super, super. <laughs> and then the, the only real misstep I find in this film is there's one more scene where they go back to Indiana for Harmony's sister's funeral. And Perry goes into the bedroom where her now bedridden, abusive father is, and he starts beating him up, basically. Yeah, fair enough, he's a piece of shit, but it just it's not in keeping with the tone 
of the rest of the film. I'd agree with you 100% here. Like, they flirted with darkness all the way through, but this is actual, like, drama mm. in this particular... Yes, yeah. It's not that it's a badly executed scene, it's just I'm not sure why they felt the need to put it in the movie. It's, I, I mean, if it had the... There's no real catharsis to it. He, he literally goes yeah. back to slap about an old man. Yeah, um, yeah. He doesn't shoot him. <laughs> yeah. He like, doesn't end his life or anything, uh, which is arguably what he deserved for being an abuser. Um, but no, he just sort of hits him about a bit and then calls it a day. Yeah, because there's this whole theme, isn't there, of abusive fathers? Like, every single one of the central characters had an abusive father. Yes. Through, uh, um, <laughs> there's a brilliant line where Perry is convalescing in the hospital and uh, he goes, uh, they're talking about whether their dads loved them or not. And uh, Harry says to him, did your dad love you? And he goes, he used to beat me in Morse code. <laughs> he never said the words. <laughs> so it's possible. Like, it's such a dark joke, but it's really, really funny as well at the same time. And then, and then, yeah, we're sort of at the end of the movie, aren't we? With some more fourth wall breaking. Uh, yeah, uh, fourth wall. Uh, yeah. It, uh, yeah. And, and Harry it, is now working for Perry there. They're in business together as private investigators. And... Oh yes, yeah, yeah. There's another oh, yeah, are, one yeah. last fourth wall, fourth wall smash at the yeah. end where um, everyone gets sent home. Uh, Perry's got gorgeous long hair and a goatee, which is nice. Yeah. Um, and away we go. And uh, so, yeah. What about your favourite bits, then, fellas? My my favourite bit is um, I just, there's so many to choose from when it's just. Perry and Harry going at it with each other. Well, not really. Harry doesn't really give it to Perry that much. It's all one way for Perry, isn't it? He doesn't like him at all. But it's when uh, they're on the roof and he admits to Harry that he was was never going to get the part. He was always going to Colin Farrell. He was just a stooge, wasn't he, to bring the price of Colin (laughs) Farrell down. (laughs) That's why. Yeah. yeah. So harrowing. Um, And he's like, he says like, oh, you know, you can can punch me if you want. And then he punches and just during (laughs) mid-sentence, he just punches him but he's because <laughs> harry is so crap it's just the shittest little punch and he's like Ugh. he's like oh you fuck <laughs> what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, yeah i just it's just you know if you're gonna have one little tiny bit what sums up them two as actors on screen together and them two characters how they play off each other it's just that little exchange where he punches. It's just really. Val <laughs> <laughs> Kilmer. I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is obviously great in this film, but yeah, I said it before. Val Kilmer's never been better. It's just he's so good in this film. Yeah, it's true. It is true. James, what about you? Favorite bit? Yeah, loads and some that we've already uh, touched on. But for me, my favorite scene in the film is Harry and Harmony at that bar. Uh, where they're pointing out the lookalikes, and not just because it's really funny, they have great <laughs> chemistry as well and a real yeah. good back and forth. Uh, can you guys name the three lookalikes that oh, they see I, in the bar? So we got Native American Joe Pesci. Yeah. There's, um, there's a, there's, I'm surprised. Steven Seagal. Yeah, there's a punk rock Steven Seagal. <laughs> punk rock Steven Seagal. I kept turning it up and I just couldn't hear what he, what he said because he said Steven Seagal. You know, like quite like all at the end, like so. I was like, oh, lovely. Um, so punk rock Steven Seagal, um, and I think it's the very first one, it I'm is, missing, yeah. isn't it? I think. Which even Robert Downey Jr. says is a bit of a stretch. <laughs> 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 well, she says it, doesn't she? Is it Mexican yeah. Billy Bob Thornton or something like that? What? Yes, <laughs> very, very close Brazilian Billy Bob. Brazilian. Thornton. Billy Bob. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> 
<laughs> I just want to know where they found those guys and just said, right, we're just going to put the camera over here and people are going to take the piss out of oh. the fact that you look like weird versions of these celebrities. Do, do, do you do that on holiday, though? I, whenever we go, oh, yeah. on, whenever we used to go on holiday, just all the time, because you see different nationality lookalikes of so many people <laughs> always did weren't we on a we were on a, a holiday together once weren't we when we saw loads all at once there was like <laughs> yeah. um mediterranean um jeff goldblum wasn't there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah a woman who looked like thomas turgoose <laughs> <laughs> Didn't, was she the woman that put herself through two tables I don't think so, no, but let's say yes. <laughs> uh, it's certainly, sorry, uh, for the listeners, me, Simon and James were outside a bar in uh, in Malaga, I think, and there was a girl who'd come to say hello, and without, like, she just suddenly, like, elevated in the air and literally put herself through two tables, and we don't know how it was done to this day. Drinks flying everywhere. We don't oh. know how it was done, but we always assumed it was um, a rock bottom from an invisible person. <laughs> Oh, she did it herself. <laughs> she was very, very drunk. She really was. Wasn't she? The idea that she wrote up like, ah! Yeah. And we must also add, at the time, we didn't laugh. <laughs> yes, we didn't laugh at the time. We helped her up. Right? Yes, yeah. <laughs> we laughed afterwards when yeah, she was okay. Yeah, we laughed okay. a lot afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> when the resemblance to a wrestling movie, a popular wrestling movie became very obvious. <laughs> oh, dear. Um... Yeah, for myself, favourite moment. Um, there's been lots and lots of good ones there. I really, really small things that I really like in this film. Um, but the, the one that made me laugh the most <laughs> is the line from the bear in the commercial. What do I know? I suck the head off fish. <laughs> <laughs> well, the kind of line that would never pass muster, ever, as he takes a massive salmon and puts it in his mouth. That's absolutely super. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, uh, what about, um, yeah, for your reconsideration then, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. James, you go last. Simon, what have you got? I mean, yeah, there, there's a, an incredible amount of showmanship and wit in the script, um, which is as expected with a Shane Black script, really. And, and so much greatness on screen to be really impressed by here. All three leads are exceptional in their respective roles with a level of chemistry most movies can only dream of. I, I can't remember the last time I've seen three lead actors just bounce off each other so well and as good as in this one. Um, Shane Black scripts dynamite with a constant stream of hilarious singers and a plot that continually drives forward at a breakneck pace. As a result, it possibly is a little bit convoluted for tiny minds like mine. I was very confused <laughs> during that middle act. I was, I was yeah, doing jumping through hoops trying to figure out what was happening. And there was a chap on Letterboxd called Philip who sort of summed that up for me and he said... Shane Black movies are like trying to follow when someone goes, my cousin's boyfriend's mum's co-worker's daughter's boyfriend's dad's lover killed his lover's lover. <laughs> and yes, that's that's sort of like how the plot is for this film. Um, but yeah, uh, if you get your kicks out of top level on-screen charisma um, from a fine cast, then you're going to get a bucket load of fun from this. So yes. Watch it. Wicked. Absolutely. Wicked. I, I'm definitely going to um, go along with that. Um, uh, yeah, this film knows exactly what it is, plays to all its strengths. Its, strengths. it's got um, a winning hand in three 
brilliant leads um, in Monaghan, Downey Jr. and Kilmer. Each are in, for me, career-defining form. Um, they're, they're absolutely superb, giving you know with roles that they'll be be remembered for. Um, it's a huge shame this didn't reach a bigger audience. Um, something about the cell. I think sometimes people get you know oh it's it's a convoluted uh, noir uh, that you know that breaks the fourth wall. Um, and I think if you try and put it in those boxes, which it no doubt is, it kind of sells the film short a little bit um, mm. and might put people off. Maybe that's why people didn't go for it in, you know, or go see it in their droves. For me, there's so much fun here, so many laugh-out-loud moments, great lines, great acting, um, but overall, great filmmaking from a filmmaker who really knew what, what he wanted to achieve here and damn, did he do it. So, yeah, that's two. For your reconsideration, yes. For your reconsideration, yes. James? Yeah, I've got nothing to add to that. I think it's an absolute must for genre fans everywhere. And if you haven't seen it, also uh, do a nice double bill with The Nice Guys, which was Shane Black's sort of spiritual, not a follow-up because it's set in the 70s, but it's very much about private eyes Mm. at Christmas in LA. LA. (laughs) Uh, Very similar tone (laughs) to this, without the fourth wall breaking with Ryan Gosling and uh, Russell Crowe. Again, that was a little bit of a disappointment at the box office, so we won't be getting any more of that. But it's it's just as good as this one. And uh, yeah, I would say it's Shane... I would say that Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is Shane Black's best film and Robert Downey Jr.'s best film as well. Nice. Oh, what am I talking about? Zodiac is Robert Downey Jr.'s best <laughs> film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's... A, I think it's Zodiac. Both excellent. They're yeah. both excellent, yeah. I think it's... Um, Oh, I think we, we're no strangers to eulogising about Zodiac on this podcast, I think. Um, didn't we all see that together as well? We did. We did, yeah. Very, yeah well lovely. Uh, lovely. In Sheffield, wasn't it? It was, It was, yeah. It was, yeah. Which is where I saw this. Oh, ah, all it? coming together. All we need is lovely Larry Miller. <laughs> uh, lovely. Uh, thank you very much, fellas. That is um, a trifecta of uh, go reconsider. So everyone, go out there, find Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. I found it on the uh, what did I find it on? Amazon Prime. Uh, quick yeah. rental on there. You can rent it from all the usual places. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I checked; it's not that expensive to buy either. Thank you very much, everyone. Thanks for listening. And uh, yes, send us your three st- three star reviews. Don't send us three star <laughs> reviews. Outrageous. Don't do that. Send us five star reviews, please. Well, they Flipping need X. to be realistic, Rob. Yeah, they do need to be realistic. <laughs> <laughs> believable. Yeah, they have to be believable. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, hit us up on the Twitters. We love hanging out with you guys and chatting with you. Um, I just talk of a vaccine. Maybe we'll get to actually meet some of you people in the future. That would be absolutely amazing. And join us next time. I think, have I covered everything there? I think I have. Mm. Excellent. <laughs> uh, you, you can tell I don't write the intro anymore. <laughs> I really should start to write, write, write the outro. I really should start doing that again now. Uh, so, yeah, we'll see you next time. Take it easy. Uh, say goodbye, boys. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I'm just going to go check my shower to see if there's no corpses to urinate on. <laughs> it's a bit dark. Sorry. Started off with roadkill and now we're around to... Yeah.